Hey guys. How is everyone doing this Friday afternoon? For some people it's morning. I'm glad it's Friday. I don't know about you two, but Yeah. It's been a been a week. So I'm glad it's over almost. You know, and Friday is always interesting for us because, well, it's good that it's Friday, but then we're here talking about fraud. So that's kind of a damper, right? All right, everybody coming in, you know the drill. What mood are you in? Where are those mood emojis? What mood are you guys in today? Let's see those mood emojis. Christine Murray, happy Friday. <laughs> Thomas is in the house. Thomas is giving us a hand clap already. Round of applause for everyone. We haven't even done anything yet. <laughs> hey, Heather. Joe, Joe, you're in the chat too. She's everywhere. Yeah, how, how'd she do that? I was trying to multitask on my laptop. <laughs> this time I'm joining our live event. I thought I'd try something new. Ah, now Thomas said thanks for the reminder, Joe. No problem. Glad James, how's it going, James? TGIF, yes. <laughs> Is that thanks? Thank goodness it's fraud day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cheesy, huh? TGIFF. <laughs> Thank goodness it's Friday Frockster. I don't know. <laughs> ah, hello. Here we go. Heather. Heather's in a good mood today. Heather's always in a good mood, though, you guys. I don't think I've ever seen Heather in a bad mood. Hal is drinking up. Oh. Drinking if you got him. <laughs> Here's a LinkedIn user celebrating a lot. Who are you that's celebrating a lot? I want to celebrate with you. It's Garnell. Garnell Brown. Do you know? Oh, hey, Garnell. Yeah, from uh, uh, the Bahamas. Yeah. I forget exactly where tattle on all the LinkedIn users. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so James, James rat, happy. rat people out. <laughs> oh no, Christine. No, Christine, we're going to make it a better week. We went, we're going to make it a better week for you. Hey, you know what? Here's the man. Cheers, Richard. Here's the man of the hour. Look, Richard sent something today that we're going to talk about real quick because I think it's quite funny. Pozo. It had to be Pozo. She had to be the one that was different. <laughs> uh oh, Heather, you you know you're absolutely right, Heather. I've I've known you for a long time, and I don't want to see you in a bad mood. Thankfully, I never have seen you in a bad mood. So you know what? Since we're having a fun today, we know what kind of mood everyone is in. Richard posted something to our um event that I'm going to share with everyone because my goodness, it is quite hilarious. I think it's a good way to start off our day. Oh, by the way, here's the mood that I'm in today. Here's my emoji <laughs> mood. So, um, you know, by the way, these are emojis created by me. Yes, by me. So I was in this kind of a mood. And then, you know, we started the show. And actually, after Richard sent me what, what we're about to talk about, this became my mood, just laughing hysterically. So here's what Richard, here's what Richard posted to our uh, group. And this is a text that he got. And it says, are you available, Rick? I need you to take care of <laughs> take care of some domestic errands for me today get back to me as soon as possible thanks reverend lee hutchinson so richard responded i've got some work things to do this morning but i will definitely be free this afternoon what do you need the rev said hope you're good i need you to get some itunes gift cards today for a group of women battling cancer whose founder i have a close relationship with the cards are for the women to download their favorite songs while, uh, let's see, while doing something. 
while they wait the next phase of their treatment. My schedule has been quite tight and I something, something, something. He so anyway, this person was trying to scam Richard and was trying to get him to go and buy some gift cards. And Richard is in the chat and he he might chime in. But what he told me he said to the, to the good Rev was that he had actually purchased the cards and he put them on his desk in the church. <laughs> Brilliant. Just Magnifique. Brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah. So apparently we have scammers all over the place and they are trying to take our money. Uh, hey, y'all, it is a beautiful day in Nassau. I used to have to visit Nassau. I say it like it was a pain. It was actually a joy. I worked for a company that would send me there for about three weeks uh, every year. That was just horrible. I mean, who wants to be in paradise <laughs> three weeks on somebody else's dime? Um, Joe, there's a lot that I can't do. Just ask all my friends. They'll tell you. You even make emojis? I didn't know that. I learn something new every day. Oh, yeah. I sell them on T-shirts and their stickers and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was my emoji mood, you know. Well, there were no black emojis, so I figured just create your own. <laughs> Joe says, brilliant, Richard. I do think that that really was brilliant. Um, you know, you got scammers that come at you all the time and they try to take, they try to separate us from our money. And I think anytime we can do small things to get some wins, that's just great. So, you know, no scammers were harmed in the making of this video. <laughs> No scammers were harmed in the making of this video. However, <laughs> we would like to harm a few of them that we're going to talk about today. Just Oh, boy. <laughs> so let's just get right into our first story for today. Some of you may have seen the video. A pharmacy technician was arrested for stealing prescription HIV medications from the pharmacy of the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in East Orange, New Jersey. Now, her last name was Hoffman, and wow, her responsibilities at the VA included ordering the necessary drugs and supplies for outpatient pharmacy, including determining when to place the orders and for what uh, products, as well as regularly maintaining inventory levels and needed drugs and supplies. So now what they're saying is from late August 2017 through November of 2019, she used her position to steal prescription HIV medication. She would place large orders for the medic medication purportedly on behalf of the veterans, right? Now, it's also said that she had an accomplice. Uh, his name was Wagner, a.k.a. Wanny. And uh, Wanny apparently would meet her at her residence so that she could sell the stolen medications to him. So she's been charged with conspiracy to steal government property, and those charges remain pending. Um, so now they're estimating, though, that the theft of the products has, uh, was totaling about $8.2 million. Now, unfortunately, though, her, her crime is only punishable by 20 years in prison and a fine of $1 million. I mean, so technically she could spend 20 years in prison and still come out about $6 million richer. They only fine her $1 million. <laughs> All right. So. Yeah, yeah just jump right in. Well, I got out one of my favorite um, ethics books. I know a lot of you like David Brooks, the columnist, and this is one of my favorite books of his, The Road to Character, because it just brings me back to what I consider our third character choice. I say we have three. 
the first one's the bad one, and it's called The Big Me. It's these people, you know, chapter 10 in David Brooks' book is all about the big me and how people are really doing things for themselves. And, you know, it's even at the expense of no matter who else, it is. And I think today it's the saddest cases to me because it's patience and it's talking about our health and our health care. And um, those are the ones that I think drive me the, the craziest. But uh, I don't know. It just it really brought me back to that character choice that I think we all have. And it's the worst one. So anyway, that's my two cents. Mark, what say you? We, we do all have that character uh, uh, trait for sure. And that's why we need to have that watchful eye over our, uh, you know, and then we're down to the ethical decision-making thing. Did I have any model in place to make good decisions? Uh, you know, in, in this case, that character came out and there was clearly nobody watching the storehouse there. Uh, I would be very interested to know how long she was at that hospital before this took place. I would expect she was a long-term employee and I would expect that over time she's developed trust or found the weaknesses in her leadership that caused her to know she could do this and have nobody see it. All right, Mark. So Richard says, but it's supposed to be all about him. Well, that's why Richard needs to spend more time with the Reverend. He obviously didn't get the message from the Reverend on that one. All right. I'm sorry, Joe. You were about to say something. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. No. I said no. you're the process and controls guy. So I think what Mark is asking about is where the heck were those uh, at this And uh, that's exactly where we're about to go. Because for those of you who know me, you know, I used to be a chief auditor in healthcare. So... I read some more on the story and we can talk about that. So Hal said at least she was wearing a mask. Uh, I think this is Ganal again talking about uh, sipping some wild cherry Pepsi. So, oh yeah, that is pretty good. Hey, Stephanie's here again. The road to character. Yep. That's something. Yeah. yeah, gift cards. That was pretty interesting, but it's, it's not about Richard anymore. But no, so let, let's talk about this. When I read the article about this pharmacy tech, if you look at her duties and responsibilities, there was a clear lack of segregation of duties. Uh -huh. So, and, I, and I'll tell you guys from personal experience, from networking with a lot of people in healthcare when I was a chief auditor over hospitals, um, I talked to a lot of them and they say that they see a lot of control lapses in the pharmacy. So oftentimes what you see is a pharmacist who has responsibility for not only the inventory in the pharmacy itself, but there are usually drug dispensing cabinets located throughout the hospital. So you now you have distributed drugs, but then also you have the ordering that needs to take place. And, and pharmacists have a huge job. And normally you have pharmacy techs at your disposal as well. But the pharmacist is usually in charge of ordering the drugs. Your techs are usually responsible for doing inventory daily. Uh, and then you have your drug dispensing machines that help you keep record and keep account. Where well, it said she was ordering drugs. She was also receiving them as well. So when the shipments came in, she was in the receiving room. She was also filling the drug dispensing cabinets as well. So there was no separation of duties. There was no secondary check behind her. And she was able to steal $8 million, <laughs> allegedly. <clears throat> Eight million, allegedly. Eight million dollars worth of drugs. 
that is where the control broke down, though, is because they let her do too much. Uh, and that's what happens when you are too trusting in your environment. Um, you know, sorry, I'll give someone else a chance to speak. <clears throat> no, thank you, Robert. You're doing excellent. He just stopped. I know. Well, well, no, I was at a stopping point and I didn't want to segue into something else. What I was about to say was it it kind of burns me up. And, and my hope for actually doing this show is that not just auditors, compliance and fraud people see it, but members of management and organizations. And they can see how simple it is to put controls in place. It is not that difficult. You know, have someone else receive the drugs, have someone else do an inventory count. These things aren't difficult. And it reminds me of, you know, weeks past, we've had stories where we had a governor that said, you no longer need to do ID checks. And now fraud is running rampant and is wasting our tax dollars. So that's where I was going with it. And that's why I said, well, let me just be quiet before I go down that road and give someone else an opportunity to speak. But it, it really burns me up because we are usually that voice of reason in organizations. And oftentimes when we speak, they look at us like we're the three-eyed monster in the room, but we know what we're talking about. Yeah, but do you not think with this being the veteran of, Veterans Affairs, uh, uh, a good federal bureaucracy of which I spent a long time working in uh, various federal bureaucracies, that they don't have the internal controls and those controls on the books and they just weren't following them and nobody was looking to see that they weren't following them. I, I would bet dollars to donuts that there's controls there that says there should be a separation of duties and they aren't doing it either because of job cutbacks where they don't have enough staffing, some excuse that would cause them to say, ah, screw that. She's been doing it all along. She's doing a great job. I mean, heck, for the last two years, she took us for 8.2 million. She's very talented. She is very talented. Here's <laughs> what I love. Suzette, you must inspect what you expect. You expect. I'm going to steal that. I'm just going to let you know That's right good. now. I will be stealing that. Well, nice. and, and look how many people put trust isn't an internal control in the chat or in the comments, which is what Mark's talking about, right? Like they, they defaulted to that one that we see a lot of companies default to, that we trust our employees. We don't need that, uh, that control or we don't need to follow that control, right? We, we trust our employees. And I see so many uh, companies fall into that hole. So let me ask you on that, Joe, do you think they actually trust the employee or do you think they don't really give a crap? There's probably about half and half. Oh, can I say it depends? Wait. <laughs> you can say it depends, but it's absolutely useless to me if you say it depends. I'm asking what your opinion is on that. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably half and half. I think you have the, the companies and the leaders that are so overprotective of their employees that they would defend them at all costs, even if they had a hint in the back of their head that they may not be doing it right. They It's like a pride thing for them. Yeah, they're, they're not they're not doing that for the employee. There is no, it's for their ego, it's right? CYA. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say. Um, well, and, and I gotta tell you, when it comes to controlled substances, it is very easy to reconcile if you have the right systems in place. And they were using they were using the uh Pixis system, which is a drug dispensing uh system. Uh so there, there's two big ones in the market, Pixis and Omnicell. They both operate uh 
very well. There, there are very strict control mechanisms in those systems if you set them up right. However, if you set them up right and you don't have the adequate segregation of duties, someone can still rob you blind, apparently, for $8.2 million. These probably never made it into the Pixis system, do you think? You know, that they probably did not. She grabbed them before they got entered. Yeah. Yeah, it did. so I think Michelle had a question about that that you put up for a split second there, Robert. Um, the $8.2 million was uh, the value of the medication. Right, Robert, I understood that right. So she didn't get eight point two million no. in her pocket. Right. Which right. is where her maybe perhaps her one million dollar fine is reasonable because we don't know, right, yet what she made off of this. Uh, but I just wanted to clarify that. So Well, but here's here's what I would say though. Oftentimes with those kinds of drugs, the street value is worth more than the uh retail value. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so. maybe maybe she made triple that. I guess well, yeah. yeah, and they don't say that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, that would be hard to tell because I'm sure uh, Wanny or Manny or whatever her accomplishment Wanny. name was, he didn't write her receipts, right? He didn't. He didn't. <laughs> Good one. There's no invoice? What? <laughs> now, Christine, she's guessing that the risk appetite for senior leaders didn't align with the cost benefit in this scenario. You know, here, here's the thing. Here's what I found. I found that a lot of leaders in uh. healthcare are very emotional. Um, and I get it because you're dealing with people's lives. Um, but at the end of the day, it is still a business. Even if you're in a nonprofit, it is still a business. And your, your, your duty is to preserve and protect the assets and stakeholders of the business. So those stakeholders could be your patients in healthcare, but those stakeholders are also, well, the, the, the employees as well and the federal government. And, you know, this one is a hot button for me. Um, and, and for many reasons, because when you look at healthcare, the failures in healthcare have led to the drug epidemic that we have in the U.S. as well. Um, so, yeah, don't get me started on the opioid crisis, Robert. Hey, Doreen, good to see that's you here. Where he was going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. I don't know yep. if she had help, Pozo. I did a little bit of research, and um, it looks like she did it all on her own, and then just sold them to her friend, Manny, Wanny, whatever his name was. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be really interested how much you got for it, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's kind of what I, as I was reading, you know, yeah. all I see is that 8.2 million number, but it, it, let's get the real value yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so Suzette brings up another very good point. It is very scary. And if that person had so many responsibilities, you will, you, you yeah. should wonder if they were administering drugs appropriately. That, um, that wasn't important. I'm very busy <laughs> with my fraud. Screw that. I mean, are you going to tell me that this is the only drug that she chose to do this with? When it sounds like it is. I mean, but or have we just not uncovered it all yet? Right. Like, right. This, yeah, this is this is just the, the snippet. I you know, I hope there's auditors or someone looking into where else what else she did over the last however many years she's worked there. Right. It, you well, know, it, it may have started small, but people but we know people's mentality. They get greedy. Yeah. And so, you know, who knows if this is it? Yeah, Aaron, Aaron, from what we can tell, she did it all on her own. Yeah. I I think uh, Pozo just had it. You just had a comment from her up there. You know, I that is totally unacceptable to me. I, I, I mean, it, Joe's 
ticked off at the medical thing. See, I'm working on controlling my vocabulary today. Uh, she's ticked off at that. That type of mentality ticks me off more than anything. Because if you're a manager and you have people working for you, then this stuff is going to happen to you because of what you said earlier, Joe, character, one of the major character flaws is this ability to do what's wrong. So if we have, unless you have nobody working for you, it's like people that say, this goes back to the first story, people who say, uh, I'm not going to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. Well, then get off the damn planet because there's hypocrites everywhere. I mean, you know what I mean? So accept that. It, the Bureau did that for years. The FBI did that for years. They wouldn't admit to people being on the wrong side of the law within the Bureau. Well, the fact is, if there's people there, somebody's going to be on the wrong side of the law. I think it shows more character and leadership to step up and say, this is the guy that did it. Out. Yep. So. Let's go down another rabbit hole while we're here then. So if she was able to steal $8.1 million worth of drugs because she had too much authority and probably she was a little overworked, how many other medical practitioners working with her were able to steal drugs either for themselves or to sell, you know, you sell that little oxy, get one or two pills a day. Anybody ever watched Nurse Jackie on Showtime? That was a very good <laughs> show. Seriously, that's all she did was steal drugs from the hospital. But 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 I digress. My whole point is, though, if she was able to steal drugs, how many other people, if she was the central control point and we know that she was compromised, how many other people were able to steal because she was compromised as the control point? Hmm. Uh, can we can we drop the word culture? Right. So culture. Hmm and the environment you are in challenges your ethics because you you want to fit in. And so you see oh. things. And, you know, I think people underestimate how their character is changed by the environment in which they work. And so what is the culture like here? I mean, that would be that great. I mean, that's the question of the day for me. Yeah, yeah. So now, guys, we've spent... More time on this one than I actually anticipated. But oh. who's up? Who's up for one more story? And we can run a little late. I mean, it's we we can do whatever we want to here. You guys, as long as you guys here on LinkedIn are enjoying what we're delivering today and you guys want us to stay, we will stay. If you want us to stay, drop something in the chat. Let us know. Say stay, stay. And if you <laughs> want us to stay, we'll move on to the next story. Now, if you're just sick of us because you've had enough of us, we'll go. But um Nobody wants us to stay. I'm not seeing any comments. Yeah, me neither. Comment <laughs> on it. I'll be like, stay. No, nah, okay. We'll, okay. We will go on to our next story. Well, I really, really like the next story. Sorry. Yeah. Suzette is still here. You got to love Suzette. Suzette, you're, uh, you're a compliance officer, right? If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> We've yeah. got it. We've got more now. Maybe there's just a little lag. Heather's still here. Hal said he'll give us a $50 gift card if we stay. <laughs> it's on your desk, Robert. <laughs> wow. All right. So our next story is a doozy, you guys. Let me just let me just set this thing up. Because I know Joe is going to have a real uh, good time with this one. So let's get her ready. All right. 
So we got this genius. Well, actually, he wasn't the only one. But here's the story. Federal federal authorities have brought charges against 35 people responsible for 2.1 billion, with a B, people, billion, losses in one of the largest healthcare fraud schemes ever prosecuted, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. Now, this genius that you see on your screen, his name is Ivan Andre Scott. He is 34 years old. He hails from Kissimmee, Florida. (laughs) He was one of those indicted Friday. Federal authorities said that he was a marketer. And uh, he would recruit elderly patients in a scam where he told them that he would give them a genetic test that would let them know what kind of um, uh, diseases they were predisposed for. Um, So this is another Florida man story, right? You guys know about Florida man, right? So he had a whole army of um, telemarketers that would work for him or marketers that would work for him. And they would go out and they would get these elderly folks They would um, tell them that they could have this genetic test and he would get them to sign up for having the genetic test. And his real goal was to get their um, uh, Medicare, Medicaid number so that he could then bill Medicare, Medicaid for the services. But he also employed physicians. So he used telehealth physicians and had them sign orders for the test to be done. So this guy was not only scamming the elderly, he brought physicians on board too, because if you remember last week, what we told you about healthcare fraud is a doctor, in order for him to prescribe a test for a patient, it has to be a patient that he or she is actively seeing. Well, these physicians weren't seeing these elderly, so this guy was playing matchmaker, and he ended up walking away with, um, oh, I forgot the dollar amount now, $3.3 million, I think, was uh, the amount yeah. that he walked away with. All right, so what say you? Joe, Mark. You want me to soapbox it for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I took this story uh, super personally. I know Robert knows my story. I don't know if all of you on the call do, but I am actually uh, a carrier for a genetic uh, mutation. I'm BRCA1 positive. So I'm positive for the breast and ovarian cancer gene mutation. And I find out found out about four or five years ago now. So I've got my whole folder where you go see a genetic counselor and you actually go through the process of getting the genetic testing to find out if you have cancer uh, in your genes or have that gene. And so it, it really irks me that they found this niche. You know, in one of the articles that that Robert uh, was talking about said that they convinced these elderly people that it was as simple as a cheek swab. Well, it's not. You know, this is this is major blood testing, you know, lots of tubes of blood to find out <laughs> what you have and uh, lots of tests that cost, yes, a lot of money. But the people, um, you know, it just it obviously bothers me for the people who need these tests. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel very yeah. fortunate. Robert's one of Robert's favorite lines is knowledge is power. And that's the one I use when I tell my story. Because for me, knowledge was power. I got to make the decision to have a preventative hysterectomy and a preventative double mastectomy when my genetic testing results came back positive. Um, And so to me, this one, you know, this one does get at my heart uh, because it is something that I take very seriously. And and he made a joke of it, you know, for for his big knee personality to make money. And and there were so many doctors that went along with it. This is where it might start with one person, but you got lots of others in the room that are going to start rationalizing their behavior 
or becoming a big me just like that person who started it. And it just, oh, it just gets me. Just gets me. I, I, I agree with you. And you, you uh, apparently have most of your senses about you still. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he was targeting a lot of elderly who may have been, you know, it, it, that fear gets greater as the time gets less. And uh, and he took advantage of that as well, which is that that elder issue is such a significant issue uh, nowadays. And, and, and the fact that he had no total disregard for that. The thing I wasn't clear from the story is, do you get the impression that this guy, Ivan, is the ringleader in this or was who started it? Oh, no, he. I highly doubt if he was the ringleader. He was the, pulled in. Yeah. From everything that I've seen, they've also uh, uh, indicted uh, 35 other people. Other people. And I I kind of looked him up. I highly doubt if he was the ringleader. Do you think it was uh, some of these labs that were the, the – that initiated it? No. I, I, well – I think they so there is a ringleader, and I think the ringleader just roped in the labs. But here's what I believe: I believe they use it like a multi uh, uh, multi level mark. What is it? M. You know what I'm trying to say? Multi mark multi level marketing scam. Marketing. Yeah, because he had a bunch of people working for him that uh, were like his foot soldiers. They were his 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 sales reps. And so they would go out and they would scout and they would target the elderly. So I think he learned about the scheme from someone else. And then he said, hey, this is a business model that can work. And then he actually incorporated, I think, too. Either he had an LLC or something else. He made it a real business. Right. But what's really interesting about these types of frauds, though, is unlike the lady that was in the lab, uh, the pharmacy tech we talked about earlier, she could have done that all on her own, which she probably did. This requires a sophisticated network. And you mean to tell me they got 35 people. So you know that there were more than 35. Yeah. You know that there were doctors involved. Even these telehealth doctors, they know better. They know that they cannot prescribe a test to a patient that is not their patient. They know that. So this was a wide network. Uh, I highly doubt if this genius with a nice smile, as Hal says, was the ringleader. So they roped in a lot of people. Uh, Hal asked how this was caught. Uh, I, I got the impression it was just numerous complainants over a period of time to various federal agencies about the fact that Medicare was charged and they got no results back. Was that your impression of how it got caught? Yeah, I actually found a couple stories where the uh, the Central Florida News station had interviewed some old folk, well, some elderly folks, <laughs> some elderly people, and uh, they were telling their story. And I think that's how it got caught. I think you're right. People were complaining. They, they had this one old couple on there. And the lady said that while she was never charged, that yeah. they did their due diligence looking over their Medicaid, wait, Medicare, right? Which one is for the elderly? One is for I think it was Medicare. Yeah, Medicare. It was sorry. her husband got charged. Yeah. Yeah, Johnson. It, last name was Johnson. Yeah, yeah, looking at the statements, she saw the outrageous charges, and that just kind of raised the alarm for them. Like, what is happening? So, I think there were a lot of people that complained, and that's how it got caught. I couldn't find that either. I really tried to find that because you know we're always curious about that. Yes, Suzette, that was that was a very interesting show, right? I care a lot um, about myself. 
Can we just give a shout out to the journalists? Like um, many, and I tend to find the Tampa uh, stories and the Miami Herald stories, uh, the ones that get these tips from, you know, and this is why we know hotlines are the best way to uncover fraud. They yeah. get tips uh, from directly from who it's happening to, and then they run with it. And this is why I always tell auditors, be more like investigative journalists. You know, dig into these things that you're hearing about in your hotlines and other things, uh, because that's where you're going to uncover these huge frauds or scandals. So but look at all the organizations that don't want to have a hotline and don't want to uh, uh, spend the money on that because they don't see the value added in that. And then the ones that take the things that come in and uh, sanitize them before they do anything with it. Uh, based on management saying, oh, I don't want anybody to see this. Mm -hmm. We got to get beyond that. Got to get beyond that. Yeah. It's like taking, like like the first story, like Robert said, taking the controls, uh, not following them, right? Same same problem there with hotlines, lots of places. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The Florida news outlets are all busy with all those Florida man stories. You are absolutely correct. Now, Michelle brings up a good point. You should always check your benefit statements yeah. because just because it doesn't come out of your pocket doesn't mean it's not coming out coming of the insurance somewhere. company's pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. Great. Great comments today. I love it. And, you know, I, 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 almost every one of these stories that we've talked about the last two weeks and, and the weeks before that, while I was listening, the thing that comes to mind, you remember Chuck Colson was the uh, White House counsel to Richard Nixon, ended up going to jail in the Watergate thing. Uh, came out of prison, reformed, and started an organization called Prison Fellowship Ministries. But Chuck, Chuck Colson was a great writer. And one of him, the things he said was, we have an infinite capacity for self-rationalization. And, and, and he said that with regard to himself. He wasn't pointing fingers. He said, at that point, when I was in the White House, I probably would have ran over my own mother to get what I wanted. You know, and I think that you got to really factor that in when you look at these stories. We've self-rationalized, and that just goes back to that character issue that you pointed out. When there's that character flaw, yeah, the second character choice is the ethical rationalizer. You've got the big me, then you've got the rationalizer, and that's where I I say we all fall into that bucket. That's the most the majority of society has become a rationalizer in some way or another. So how can we move out of that? Uh, that mentality. But I think it's, uh, you know, you said, uh, what was it? The word self, self, self rationalization, self rationalization. Um, a lot of rationalization comes from self preservation too. You know I mean? That's, that's the underlying, um, you know, reason sometimes. And I think a lot Companies fall into self-preservation mode. But you wouldn't have to self-rationalize. You wouldn't have to self-preserve if you didn't self-rationalize first. Right. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. But, you know, here's here's the big question, though. So. We've seen these types of frauds over and over again, and obviously there are certain control points that could be put in place. Right. Because you have the information that is coming from the insurance company, the information that is coming from the doctor and the information that is coming from the patient. Why have we not developed ways to authenticate all three of those to make sure that they are legitimate? Like banks do it all the time when they transfer millions of dollars in wire transfers. So why in the world can't we do that for something like 
this? Hmm. Yeah. Great question. Great question. I've wondered it. I mean, I study the opioid crisis. I do case studies on it. And there's so many there's so many red flags. There's so many data analytics points that should have popped up that there was a problem long before uh, states got wind of the problem and, and governments and the federal government. And, you know, we finally went after Purdue Pharma last year. Ultimately, we've been going after them for 20 years. But, uh, you know, where where was the systems showing what was happening? Uh, that's that's what killed me between doctors and pharmacists and manufacturers. And there was there's no no connection where there needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. But again, why? If we can do it for multi-million dollar transactions that occur between banks, right? But we can't do it for this. But that but that's just a question to ponder. Um I think we could all have conspiracy theories on why that is. Uh but that's not this show. That's it's not the Moldy Molder and Scully show just yet. Uh, I'll try to stay away from conspiracy theories, but you know, you know who will chime in? Hell, banks are on the hook for the cost. Healthcare fraud costs get passed on to others. Ding, ding. Absolutely. Yep. So don't do the right thing. Hey, Robert, I think you were onto something, you know, uh, X-Files. We could always change the show name to Fraud Files, you know. You could change the music of the the intro video. Do I won't sing, but you know the X Files. Yeah, everybody knows it. You can hum it in your head. I don't need to sing, but yeah, I like it. Now, Richard is saying <laughs> is right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh, Richard, it is about you. Richard um, is on the ball. <laughs> now, Christine brings up a good point, though. They don't want to investigate the time, money, as long as they're collecting a check. Yes, correct. It is hard to move away from the we have to audit the process and we want to audit. The, yeah. Well, and, and another thing, too, though, it it says something when it is a uh, quasi governmental agency. Right. Because you got to think about it in some agencies like that. Um, when costs get too high, you just raise taxes. I mean, no ethics again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her next statement. Uh, con- yep. Controls yeah. are not income producing. There but, you go. But are they not? I, they think actually, I think it is up to us to prove convinced. to our organizations we are a benefit, not a cost. And Good that's, luck. that's I know. And that's the hardest part of what we all do as a profession. Yeah. And that's, that's to me the end state end goal is Benefit center, not cost center, right? So we do that. I think that's becoming harder to do, though, in the uh, current climate. You know, and and you make a good point, Mark, but it shouldn't be. If you think about some of the stories we've covered, because what are we on now, fourth or fifth episode? If you think about some of the stories we've covered, especially the one where uh, the governor waived the controls, and now they have, what, a few billion dollars that they're looking for? I mean, just you you could have hired a million dollars worth of personnel to avoid losing a billion. I think that's a no brainer. And uh, again, one of my hopes for this show is that people will see it, understand it, and certain things will start to click. But I'm also hoping that people who see something will say something. They'll get a little brave and start saying, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. And then maybe 
they'll hit the news and start finding stories that are similar to the situations that they're facing so that they can say something. Now, maybe I'm Pollyanna, but that's kind of my hope. Well, can I be Pollyanna for a minute and answer James' uh, question? Uh, I love James. I love this question. And my answer is yes. Should schools and universities do more to teach oh. at a much younger age? Yes. And in fact, maybe, maybe I, this will push me to do my children's book on ethics, which I've been saying I'm going to do for years because we, this is prevention. This is, you know, Dan Ariely's research that if we put something like the code of ethics or the 10 commandments at the beginning of tests, kids are less likely to cheat. As in it dropped uh, from like 20% cheating to no cheating. You know, when you put it in front of people's as a reminder, people as a reminder, I can talk. Um, you know, so yes, I mean, I mean, training, talking about it, all of these things, the biggest prevention for fraud is talking about it. We've all been taught that our entire careers. Um, so absolutely. I mean, I would unequivocally say, yes, we need to be teaching that in every grade. Some, it depends on who's teaching it. That's true, too. True, too. I mean, seriously, schools and universities, the social relativism that's going on at this point in time, they cannot call something you know, right and wrong. It's somewhere vacillating in, in the, the middle, middle and right. it's crap. There are things that are wrong. There are things that are right until we get back to some sort of a foundation where we actually believe that and enforce it. Mm -hmm. I, I'd hate to see what they would teach. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a 20 year old son. I have kids that range. I don't know where they came from, but I got a whole bunch of them, but the 20 year old, the youngest one, the things he learned in school, I'm still trying to correct. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. Well, I mean, I, I, who, I, go ahead. Who would, who would say this, Joe? Wait, this wait. happens to be from a book I just received this week from my new friend, Joe. And I'm excited about it. But who would say this? This book dedicated to every whistleblower and tattletale out there. Thank you for speaking up. How many people would support that statement? It's absolutely true, but who would support it? I just broke a pen throwing that down. Mark's all fired up. I love it. <laughs> well, thanks for the book plug. I, I just, there's one section in the book about the five ethics philosophies. And I use my nine-year-old son as an example of what is his decision-making under each of those five philosophies. And I think you bring up an excellent point, Mark, is that I actually say, okay, here's the decision he made and here are the, here's the different philosophies, how the outcome would differ. That's how complicated ethics is. So right. 100% agree with you uh, on the who's teaching it thing. I, I completely agree with you. So maybe maybe I could, could I do that for everybody? I don't know. I, I don't have you. but I, you, well, I, I, think, I think we need to talk about the uh, children's book and let's just go ahead and make that happen. Uh, yes. You have resources. I have some resources. I think we should just make that happen. You know, and in all seriousness, well, I know I was actually serious about that, too. But um, here's here's what I think. And this is just my personal opinion. So I won't stay on my personal soapbox for too long. But I think as a society, we used to have values. We used to oh. value honesty and integrity. We have moved from a value-based society to a view-based society. And I always say, I don't value your views. 
I don't value my own views. I value true values. Your views change every day like the weather. Heck, yesterday I liked the rain, and then when it rained too hard, I didn't like the rain anymore. That's a view. <laughs> but a value is tell the truth. Be honest. Respect your fellow man. We have moved from a value-based society to a view-based society, which is why what you see people teaching kids in school, whether it be uh, K through 12 or at the university level, yeah. is all theory. It's all, you know, it's all pie in the sky stuff. Whatever happened to morals, values, and ethics? Whatever happened to honesty? Now, honesty is a gray area, really. Mm -hmm. And I know for CPAs, there's a, there's a running joke, right? You ask a CPA, what is the number? And they'll ask you, what do you want it to be? <laughs> I get that, but that's just a joke. We've gone from being a value-based society to a view-based society. And until we bring values back, there is no hope for any of this stuff. Yeah, and one more book plug. I know we probably should wrap it up, but the book, Winners Never Cheat, um, basically go back to the lessons we learned on the playground by John Huntsman. <laughs> I think that, that um, hits it, uh, and it's a great, great little book on ethics, by the way. Great Wait, book. what's the book again? I'm sorry. I, Hell. Winners. Actually, you two, and I'm trying to focus still. We're going to get in big trouble. Um, the book is Winners Never Cheat. Winners Never Cheat. cheat. Uh, go back. There's two versions of it. Even in Difficult Times was written right after or edited right after the financial crisis in 2008. But the original version was, you know, go back to the lessons we learned on the playground. Um, and But I do think it's fundamental to start teaching kids at a young age. So, Robert, okay, new accountability on children's ethics book, me and you. So. Oh, oh, yeah. No, we're, we're going to make this happen. And we're going to keep everybody here updated on our on our progress. No, seriously. I mean, you you know how I am. I I know. <laughs> I, I know. And I think I, it's I think it's a super good idea. I support both of you. I'll sit back and support you. I, I, I think I think it needs to be done. Everybody wants to be a comedian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I have to go pick up the ethical elementary school child from school in 10 minutes. So I am going to have to let you two continue on or decide if you're going to. Uh, Cut it off for the day. Robert. We're going to close it out because we, we've run over today, but I mean, it's our show, so we can do that. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we'll see you next Friday. Bye, guys.